So welcome to What in the World Language Podcast. I'm here today with Mark Mullaney. Welcome, Mark. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. So we're at IFLT 19 in sunny St. Petersburg, Florida. How's it feel? Well, humid. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> but honestly, it feels great. It's always a great conference. It's great to see everybody. and it is It's beautiful. a good community that comes together Absolutely. once every year. Super hot, though. And super hot. Super hot. But <laughs> it is beautiful. We love you, St. Pete. So I just got a few questions for you today, Mark. All right. IFLT and, you know, some of the takeaways and just a little bit about you. So without, great. without further ado, let's get started. Let's do it. So um, tell us, Mark. Uh, what are you doing this year at IFLT? What are you presenting on? Well, I'm not so much a presenter as I am a learning lab teacher. So um, I've been asked by uh, the IFLT conference to come into St. Petersburg and uh, basically take a group of students on a four-day journey through all sorts of comprehensible input activities and lessons to demonstrate to participant teachers some of the stuff they can bring back and use in their own classrooms. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, it really honestly is a lot of fun. Believe it or not, it's a crazy crash course. And the idea of getting a group of kids one day and you know having a couple hours to get to know them and then the next day having to be in front of 50 or 60 professional teachers is a little nerve-wracking. Yeah. But it is, um, honestly, it's work I love to do. And I'm glad that I've been invited to do it. But that's the magic, right? That's part of it. That's yeah. the magic, being able to take those kids. And that's the talent, and that's probably why you're here, because um, you're able to take um, kids like that in such a short amount of time and and be able to lead a four-day um, lab yeah, with it's, those kids. It's really, it's really been interesting. I've had a lot of different scenarios in the uh in my career with IFLT um, in Denver, I've had my own classroom students that have come and I've actually taught kids that I know. And uh, Cincinnati last year, there was a lot of um, participant teachers, children in the class, and that was really fun to get to know them and then get to know their parents through that experience. And this year, I have a couple of uh, students who are um, participant children. However, uh, the majority this year are from this part of florida and um it's just a you know different geography different different culture and you really get to learn a lot about where you're staying because you spend your day talking to kids about their lives so tell as you talk about the culture what it what is it exactly you do like what is your strength in working with these kids what would you say your strength is and your strategies that you use i think I can thank my large Midwestern family for most of my strengths <laughs> because I grew up sitting around the kitchen table playing a card game, a Midwestern card game called Euchre. And it's never heard of it. Yeah, it's it's not really all that popular outside of Michigan, Ohio, Indiana. But um Illinois, where my parents are from. And you know, it's just it's the idea is the card game is really not the star of the evening it's the conversation and you just sit around with your family members sometimes you're playing sometimes you're not but it's hours of just sitting around talking and i think that that served me well because as a language teacher i've had a lot of practice in that big group conversational context and so i try to think about my class and my time with these kids as though we're sitting around really just kind of hanging out in the living room or around the table playing cards and learning about each other and you know sometimes that's fun and lighthearted, and sometimes it's serious and sometimes it's just informational but 
I think that's a strength I bring to the table is that I love people and I love, I love, yeah, just finding out what's going on with them. That's fantastic. That, I think that does serve you well. And, it, and you, you know, those conversations allow you to build classroom culture, you know, and it gives students voice and you bring them into your conversations. And that's the most important, you know, because you listen. And I guess those conversations when you were young around the card table were those sort of things, right? Yeah, it was a lot of listening. It was mostly the adults talking. Right, mostly the adults, but the back and forth and nuance of of language and and conversation. And figuring out how to incorporate everyone into it, make it a family event. And I think you're right about the community thing. Um, I, I always think of my first day or my first hours with any class that I teach as the time to figure out where we are as a community and what role we're going to have together in that community and try to really start forging those connections. And in an environment like IFLT, you you really have to do it in a very accelerated way because you're going to be basically on stage, so to speak so quickly and so um you know that first day we just really talked about where everybody's from and really just kind of used our spanish time to to build the community and figure out where everyone exists within it and feels comfortable mm-hmm. as a part of it and right. and served me well and i'm glad you said spanish because um for our listeners um mark teaches spanish he's a spanish teacher and where do you teach spanish mark um i am currently a spanish teacher at the denver school of the arts um in denver public schools in colorado and uh it's a great funky fun environment it's a six through 12 arts magnet school um so this stuff the ci stuff is just like it's on steroids at that school. I mean, I've got kids who are coming from the drama department, and so I've got these actors that are oh, wow. incredible. Yeah. When I want a classroom artist, you know, I have a visual artist that a, studies yeah. intensely uh, drawing and painting, and so it's that's just amazing. Yeah, it's fun. I have a lot of stick figures. <laughs> well, that's what they would get but, if profile was drawn. Yeah, I do have I do have artists that in my classroom that, but I don't teach at art school, so that's that's fantastic. Well, that leads right into my next question. Um, tell us about your journey as a language teacher, sort of the condensed version, because we could be here all day. Um, <laughs> you know me well. The where, the how, the why. You know, where did it begin? You know, just. Um, that's interesting. It's it's such a long story as for me as it is with anyone. I think, um, how, like, how did you get from there to here? But like, for Spanish in particular, I mean, I am not a native Spanish speaker. I grew up in Southern Ohio, um, where there wasn't a lot of Spanish being spoken. I had. Um, a pretty rough time with my classroom Spanish classes. Uh, I actually found an old um, personality inventory that one of my counselors had given me in high school. It said, "What's your favorite class?" And said, social studies guy. Love social studies. Right. What's your least favorite class? Spanish. Spanish. Wow. <laughs> so I quit it after Spanish too. So my journey with the language didn't really start until I was 19, and I moved to Boulder, Colorado. Well, that reminds me. Um, the first time I met you at IFLT, I think. 17 in Denver. Yeah. You mentioned a story about kitchen Spanish. That's right. That's right. That's where it all really started. I got a job. I took a year off school to kind of ski and figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, during that time, I got a job at a Mexican restaurant in Boulder. And I was a food runner. So my job was to take the food from the kitchen where exclusively you know, Spanish was the exclusive language being spoken in the kitchen out to the front of house. And, you know, everyone out there was 
English speaking. So it was kind of this weird, I went back, back and, and forth, forth between the two worlds, if you will. And I ended up doing that for six years, which Sink is kind of crazy. Swim. Yeah. And, um, I just made really good friends with all these guys, um, who worked back in the kitchen, um, most from Zacatecas in Mexico. And I, I mean, it just sort of happened naturally. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it was very comprehensible input the way that I learned. Kind of like what Jason was talking about the other day in the ACFL panel, right? How he learned Spanish. Yeah, I believe so. I think there's some common element for all people who gain fluency in a second language. There has to be a place where you're getting the input, but where you also feel comfortable enough to engage in the community aspect of learning the language and getting to know people and make friends you know I, I don't know it was um it was a really interesting part of my journey so after the sixth year at the restaurant i ended up moving to oaxaca and i taught english as a foreign language mm-hmm. sixth grade for a year that. yeah and i had student taught i had gotten a degree and i was a licensed teacher social studies um i'm an anthropologist by training and um fascinating yeah you know and um when I came back to Denver, there was not a single social studies job. I had student taught as a social studies teacher, everything. And I just saw all these jobs for Spanish. They just weren't filling, you know? There was all these jobs at all these different high schools. I knew I wanted to live in Denver. I knew I wanted to work for Denver Public Schools. And I did not see a social studies job, so I applied for a handful of Spanish jobs. Um, no and- fear on that one. No, I just went for it, and uh, I ended up interviewing over Skype uh, at Thomas Jefferson High School in Denver, Colorado, and uh, they hired me on the condition that I could pass the placement test, or the Praxis Place, whatever it's called. Right. I passed the test, I came in on the very first day, and lo and behold, my uh, mentor teacher and my department chair was Paul Kirschling, none other than Paul Kirschling, and Diana Noonan was my boss, and... I assume people listening to this podcast will know who they are, but for just so you know, Diana is the World Languages Coordinator at Denver Public Schools. She's a huge CI advocate, career French teacher. Um, and Paul Kirschling, also a career French teacher, is a masterful practitioner of uh, TPRS and CI later as it sort of developed and I changed. I second that. Yeah, uh, so. Diane Noonan, I met her yesterday. Yeah, she's, she's brilliant. Amazing. I mean, n- almost none of us in Denver Public Schools would be where we are without her. And it's a strong She spoke highly of you, by the way. Culture. Well, that's nice to hear. Uh, yeah, Diana has a special place in my career, as does Paul. So, you're not formally trained in Spanish. No. You just passed the uh, state exam. Yes. You, you jumped in the deep end with that one. So, tell me just briefly, because um, a, a lot of teachers are trained. Mm-hmm. Know, they go to college, they get a degree, they come out grammar-focused. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, not all the times, but a lot of times. Um, how is that experience coming from learning authentic language, jumping into a school as a social studies trained teacher? How was your first year? Was it? Was it? Uh, briefly tell us was how difficult or not difficult it was, and some of the things, some of the key takeaways. Today it was rough. It was so <laughs> hard. <laughs> I was. I was in. I was in a different. Cultural context as well. I had just come from a private Mexican, you know, school, pretty upper class, very, very 
strict, distinct rules of, you know, how teachers and students interact. And I was coming into, you know, an, an urban high school in a city I'd never lived in before. So and from the, from the bougie? From yeah. the bougie yeah. to the real, you know, yeah, to the real. The um, and and there, so there was a lot to learn about being a teacher in an urban school. That was the first thing, right? Just like, what does Just it mean? That alone, yeah, that alone. What does intense. it mean to be to to be the teacher to and, pick up that space, and, especially as a white man? That's right. Yeah, and I mean, it was that was hard work, and so that was the first thing to figure out. Right. It was just how to be respectful and how to build community and how to navigate that space, leave myself enough room to, um, to not feel offended or anything like that and let the kids be who they were and, and feel respected. And I think that was, that was the hard work to start. Right. Um, and then came the Spanish, right? Then the teaching Spanish. After that, right. Yeah. And luckily, like I said, I had Diana and Paul, and I would just go sit in Paul's classroom during my planning periods and watch him teach French. And I was like, okay. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then I would go in the classroom and... What took Paul twenty minutes would take me three, you know. And I'd be like, <laughs> That's oh, how I go. Right? I've still got forty-seven minutes left, <laughs> and so no, I go here. I just kind of made stuff up. To be completely honest, I just made stuff up to fill time. But that summer, after that first year teaching, another really, you know, just kind of serendipitous thing happened, and I met Jason Fritz. Um, another great one. Yeah, just maybe. For me, maybe the 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 best person to see at exactly the I saw him at exactly the right time. I had just finished a year of teaching. I had seen Paul. I knew about all this TPRS stuff, and we went out to the very first IFLT conference. This is eleven summers ago. Uh, it was in Los Alamitos, I think, um, Seal Beach, which is like Long Beach area of Southern California. Nice. Um, and it, man, I they didn't have learning labs or anything like that yet, so I didn't actually see. Jason teaching with kids, but he's such an incredible explainer. He's such an incredible teacher that he demystified TPR. And that was the first step. I also saw Bertie Siegel, um, who is just a rock star of TPR from its very beginnings. Um, yeah, she's like a foundational person in this entire methodological movement and uh, she did some Yiddish lessons that I got to participate in and I saw Linda Lee, she taught some Mandarin. And all of a sudden, it just started to click. And so I went back the next year, and I was better. Still pretty bad, but better. Still pretty bad. Yeah. And, then, and then year three. There's a lot of people that would disagree with that statement. Well, they didn't see me in year one and two. Well, year three was the first year that I still bad. felt like a teacher. Does that make sense? That makes absolutely um, sense. I felt like I was... You had a good foundation. Yeah, I was getting I was getting an education. Yeah, I was getting an education, foundation. and I was I really wanted to do it, and I really wanted to do well, um, because I I just think I think I mean now more than ever it is just incredibly important that we are building bridges across communities, and language is really the foundation of that bridge. I mean, it's it's I think so. It's the way to get. No, I know so. It's the way to get communities connected, right? I mean, we build community through language. And so um, what I, the world that opened up to me when I learned Spanish was vast and incredible and changed my entire life and changed the way I look at everything. So to be able to do that work was very important to me. And then I just happened to meet the greatest people along the way that could mentor me and help me out. And, uh, you know, I just ended up being a Spanish teacher. And here we are going into my 12th year in Denver public schools now. Um, 
and I don't ever want to teach social studies again. Not going back to social studies. Not going back. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Well, you said, you know, you had that good foundation, and then it really started to click at, at one of the first IFLT conferences? Yeah, yeah, really, the very first IFLT conference. So these conferences are important for teachers, and they've only gotten better. I would 100% agree with that. Yeah, I think... Um, this is only my third IFLT, and uh, it's the benefits that I've gained from coming here as an observer and this year as a lab teacher has been phenomenal off the charts. You know, I always go go back home to my class with new ideas. That's right. Um, And, you know. There's also some massive power in knowing that you're not alone. Oh. Like, I, you know, I met you in Denver when I was a lab teacher and you were there, I think your first IFLT. And, um, and I, and then I knew you, you know? And so when I saw you at the next one, you brought me into your classroom in a really fun and awkward way, right? (laughs) I don't know if we should mention that here on this podcast. Well, uh, you can mention it if you need to. uh, (laughs) Mark, I was a, I was a character in one of in uh, in his class, so we'll leave it at that. A character. Oh. If you come into my classroom, if you are if you are live in the classroom, you will. You might end up a part of the class. It's just you the way it works. You may end up. If you're in the if you're Warning in the room, to you future uh, attendees of IFLD. That's right. I mean, you if you may end up in his uh, story. <laughs> if you're in the room, you're a part of the community, right? Exactly. You should be. You can't just ignore everyone that's sitting there watching, but um. Yeah, I do think the conferences are important, and I'm I'm happy to have uh, met and feel connected to such a strong community. Um, there's so many people in this community that have a lot to contribute, and I think uh, hopefully we just keep seeing more and more people develop their skills and share their skills because we can't do this alone. Exactly. Uh, so, just one more question, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Um, any advice uh, to those? Uh, teachers that, as, that are aspiring to move toward a proficiency-based classroom using um, CI strategies. Uh, you, do you have any, any advice for those teachers? Yes. I mean, I have so much advice, so I'm going to limit it to a few things because uh, <laughs> this is another one of those things I could expound upon for days. We could, you need to leave something for another podcast. Yeah, that's right. So I would say... Um, I'm just going to speak from my own experience and the things that work for me. Please, that's yeah. what I expect. Uh, number one, figure out how to establish meaning on a deep um, and and lasting, impactful level. I think establishing meaning of the words that you're going to use is is often overlooked. We think about what are the PQA questions we're going to ask? What's the story we're going to spin out of it? And we forget that if you haven't done a good job of establishing the meaning of that word and creating something that people can root into, you are just, you're not going to get any of the results you want from the processes that come down the road. And so for me, TPR was the the biggest thing I learned at the beginning the of my foundation. career. The foundation. Um, and then so moving beyond that, the second thing I would say is you have to figure out how to personalize everything. And so once you've established meaning, how do you turn that into a meaningful conversation about real stuff in real life? And that's the PQA skill. And for me, that required scripting out questions for many years. Um, it doesn't anymore. And I think a lot of people who might come and see me see the 
sort of natural flow of how things go in the classroom and think that that's a personality thing. And I just want to definitely say that that's a practiced thing. The personality that's thing has true. something to do that's with a, it. I'm but. glad you mentioned that because a lot of a lot of teachers come here and think, oh my God, I could never do that. Yeah. Because it's just, he just pulls it out of the air. It's like any skill you have to look you at. You have to work you, at it. You have to work at it and mm-hmm. then you get mm-hmm. to where you are. You right? get to the point where you can, you I know. had that thought. I was like, oh, I can't do any of this. The first time I came to an IFLD conference, I was like, whoa. I was blown I was blown away by you. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. How do I do that? Yeah. I felt bad as a person that I had to like script out my questions. And I, and then I found out later, like you just said, that oh, that's not gotta, a bad thing. No, you got to do that's it. That's not a bad thing. So teachers, if you're doing that, don't feel bad no and and just know the more you do that the more natural it will become and the sooner you'll be able to get away from it because you'll start see the light in every little tunnel you open we scaffold for our students why can't we scaffold for ourselves that's right absolutely great point yeah so that'd be that'd be number two and then and third and final thing and this is something that i think is really really important in this world where we do see on social media all the time people posting their best teacher self and never posting the reality of their <laughs> complete fracasos you know so like it's just like man just be real with yourself have realistic expectations and know that if you're doing this work it's important and if you're really trying to do it well that 80% of yourself in the classroom with 20% left over for yourself when you leave the classroom for 30 years is better than giving 100% for three and leaving the profession. So find a way to take care of yourself. And, uh, you know, 80% great teaching is going to have massive impacts over the length of your career. So keep a little bit for yourself. That's a profound statement, Mark. And that's a good one to take us out on. I really do appreciate that. So, uh, thank you for being on What in the World, a language podcast. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. 